Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The portal has opened. The coaches are on the carousel and we have news to talk about with you. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the show, we got to take a look at the portal. Which quarterbacks have gone in, which quarterbacks are likely to come out and where, and which one of these dudes should you be looking to if you are in the market for a quarterback? I also want to talk a little bit about Ohio State, which I think is in a transitional period that will probably come to define the Ryan Day era if it hasn't already been defined yet. Talk about Colorado as, well, I got to talk with Coach Prime just earlier on Tuesday afternoon. I'll learn some stuff. I'll share that with you. Talk a little bit about Oklahoma elevating Seth Luttrell and Joe John Vinley to coordinator positions, and then Danton Lynn and what his impact might be at USC. So again, pack show, really excited about this show, but let's get started right away. With the portal opening officially on Monday, December 4th, but that did not stop people from saying, I'm going into the portal. And it certainly did not stop media from going, this person is likely to go into the portal. And now, as we have had portal entrance, it is time to take a look at which quarterbacks have decided to throw their names in their grad transfer or not, and where you should probably slot them. So I really have come up with two tiers here, because I didn't think that it was doing justice to do a top five list about the top five available quarterbacks in the transfer portal because quite frankly there are more than five and I don't think about them in exactly the same way and we've learned this because there has become a difference in the kind of quarterback you go get in the transfer portal a lot of that has to come to what do you already have that you know is going to be there come August and what are your aspirations as a football program if you are being realistic about your aspirations so let's start with the first tier that I want to talk about which is called experienced Winners. I want winners. That's Mike Singletary for those of y'all that just weren't around the Mike Singletary Singletary era at San Francisco. But I really love that quote because we play the games to win the or play the sport to win the games. Yeah, that's Herm Edwards. I keep going. But point here is that these dudes have shown us that they know exactly how to go win football games, even if they don't necessarily have the stats or even the skill set to say to us, we think. This dude could be potentially great. Now, if you are a winner, you already could be potentially great. So I think that part is uh, really baked into the experienced winners. But let's get to basically the first name on the list that I have here is Riley Leonard, who has gone into the portal after what started out as a really outstanding year for Duke, who got to be ranked inside the top 25 for the first time in 30 damn years. Coming off of a nine-win season last year, Mike Elko has since taken his job and made it the Texas A&M job. We got to see Duke was off on the good foot, bright and early with their upset of Clemson, basically because Riley Leonard and the defense willed it to be so. In that game, Leonard 
damn near rushed for 100 yards, had 98, had 175 yards passing through the air. Now, that's the thing. He's not going to be the kind of guy that has lit up a stat sheet when it comes to throwing the ball around. Maybe that can change. I don't necessarily think that it does. However, I look at Riley Leonard, I'm going, dog, I wish you'd have been along when we were absolutely in that space of Urban Meyer and, well, that spread option, right? Like it was a lot of fun to watch that triple option that they have going on there because you had a dude like Riley Leonard, JT Barrett, right? Who could run it, Cardell Jones, who could run it. I don't know that that offense is in vogue right now, but that would be where I want to put him. But it also makes sense that there are programs that have already looked at him and said, that guy knows how to win football games. We can be good with him if we give him good pieces because that's also the thing about Duke is who else on that offense do you think was, well, an experienced winner? It really came down to what he was able to provide to them. And we know this because, yeah, he beat Clemson. But the thing that I really focused on was that dude had Duke up in Tallahassee against Florida State on one leg. They were winning the game 20 to 17 until he was knocked out of it. And then Florida State did what we all thought Florida State was going to do from the jump. But it was very clear that Duke had a chance to win every football game that Riley Leonard started for them this year. Just the numbers weren't there. And then, you know, the ankle and him being able to come back off of it. And then what Mike Elko has decided to do. You don't begrudge that dude going into the portal. Also, you know, it's it's a dude that was asking for an extension on a paper because he's playing a football game. And at Duke, they just don't – they frown on that kind of thing. Whereas Texas A&M, I don't know. Maybe they let it go. Maybe they say, did you go win? Cool. Then we'll give you the pass because everybody's on board with that. I'm joking here, but I think Riley Leonard is going to be at a power five spot. It's just which one. I know right now there are feelers out there that Notre Dame is the thing and Notre Dame might be the done thing. And we know that Notre Dame likes a good ACC quarterback, see Sam Hartman. But I don't know that Riley Leonard makes Notre Dame into a national championship program on his own. He's going to need help and they're going to go into the portal and try to find him that help. Say nothing of what Tobias Merriweather losing him might mean to you. I just don't know that he is the top on this list for me, right? I'm sure that there's something there for someone. But if you were telling me that Ohio State is in on Riley Leonard, then I got to also reevaluate that too because, well, I'm going to get to that. But first, I want to talk about the next guy on the list. DJ Uwe Anglele has gone in the transfer portal because, like Riley Leonard, his head coach has taken another Power 5 job. Jonathan Smith, now the new head coach at Michigan State. There's already been some scuttle about DJ Uwe Anglele deciding to join Jonathan Smith in East Lansing, but that's a program that's really down it's going to take some time to rebuild it. I don't know that Jonathan Smith is the dude to flip it over in a year because he has not shown that he wants to build a roster that is basically coming out of the portal. But he has shown that he will want to go get a transfer quarterback that he thinks can affect winning. And I think DJ can affect winning at any Power 5 level at any school. We got to see this when he was at Clemson coming in in relief of Trevor Lawrence and going for four bills against Notre Dame. He has the goods. He brought Clemson down from 18 back against Boston College in Death Valley, you might also argue, why do you need to come from 18 back against Boston College? It happens, right? That's that's football. That's the sport. But did you win the game? Which is basically what Florida State is going to ask everybody from here until kingdom come. But that's also a space where I could see DJ Uyilangule really fitting in. I think DJ and Florida State would be a great marriage, given what Jordan Travis had meant to winning at FSU and what his skill set provides. If you're able to get him the kind of skill players that you have on that team, Jaheen Bell, Keon Coleman, Trey Benson, and then you can put together that same sort of defense. You got a chance to go win the ACC title in back-to-back years. And 
make the playoff because it will be have expanded to 12 teams and you won't have to look at a bunch of suits in a boardroom who thumb their nose at your 13 and 0 record. I also think that he fits for a guy like Jeff Levy at Mississippi State. That is a man that wants to make a splash quarterback transfer. Well, I was going to say higher, but I guess we could do the same thing. He would love to get that sort of a commitment from a player of DJ's caliber because it's all there, right? He's one of the tooliest guys that I've ever seen at the position. Throws a 95 mile hour fastball. He's all a six foot five. He's all at 260 pounds. He's got a rocket for an arm and he's got the ability to run around. It's just, can you help him make better decisions as a passer? I think, yeah, he's shown us he can win and as precisely the kind of place where he should be going. Somebody has got conference championship winning aspirations, which is another reason why Ohio state would not, seem out of the question for him, but that's kind of the thing about Ohio State. It's really not out of the question for any quarterback of any repute because that's how good they have been at the quarterback position at Ohio State, which is why this is going to become a reoccurring thing, not just in this show, but until such a time as we figure out what's going on at Ohio State, even nine months from now, which leads me naturally to the guy that put his name into the portal to some people's surprise in Kyle McCord, quarterback at Ohio State who is only just 12 and one as a starter, guys, who also passed for 3,100 yards this year, 24 TDs, six INTs. I think the ding against Kyle McCord is that when you've got Marvin Harrison Jr., yeah, you ought to be able to complete a bunch of your passes. When you've got a Mecca Buka, you ought to be able to complete a bunch of your passes. The same thing is true when you got a run game that features a guy like Travion Henderson. I would argue that Kyle McCord did more at Ohio State than J.J. McCarthy did at Michigan. And that still isn't good enough because, well, Michigan beat Ohio State. So J.J. did enough for Michigan to win, and Kyle McCord threw two interceptions in that game, one of which came in the first half that I swear he wants to have back, and the last one was a last-ditch effort to try to get Ohio State in the end zone, and that was that. It's kind of tragic that his last pass thrown at Ohio State is an interception. I really do hate that for him, but I think Kyle McCord, being a five-star quarterback himself, has shown the goods to be a Power 5 starter Anywhere else. As a matter of fact, when this first happened until the Riley Leonard thing happened, I was like, well, that dude just needs to go to Notre Dame because I think that he could make them that much better because he sees the field really well. And I think that having outstanding wide receivers doesn't make him great. I think he can make wide receivers great. I think his relationship with Marvin Harrison Jr. did as much as Marvin Harrison Jr.'s talent to help them. Right. I think if you give him the dudes, he's going to go out there and he's going to perform for you. But is he a better quarterback? going in than Sam Hartman was last year, I can't take it that far either, right? So I think that Kyle McCord is going to help somebody. I'm just curious as to where he sees a fit for him because I think that most programs that are in the market for a quarterback will give that man a hard look if he so wants to return said hard look. So I can't wait to figure out where he goes to visit and or what he thinks he wants to do. But as an undergrad going into the transfer portal, your options aren't as available. You're kind of limited. As a matter of fact, I tell the kiddos now, graduate. Because when you graduate, you can do anything you want. You don't count against scholarship distribution chart in the same way. They don't have to make sure that you are going to graduate because you've already graduated. And really, coaches don't frown upon it, right? They have to look at a guy that's an undergrad transfer and give them the what for and the how. Like, are you going to bring down our APR score? How many quarterbacks or even Players do I have to give a scholarship to that are going to be around for more than one year, so forth, so on. So he's got a couple of hurdles to overcome, but I don't think that's going to be too big a deal for a guy of his caliber. 
The next guy on the list that we got to talk about is Kansas State quarterback Will Howard, who, again, experienced winner. 2,600 yards passing this year, 351 on the ground. Damn near beat Texas on the road and came off the bench last year to lead Kansas State to a Big 12 championship in a year where Texas Christian was undefeated and played in the national title game. That's not too shabby. As a matter of fact, during Big 12 media days, I asked Chris Kleiman about handing the keys to his program to a guy like Will Howard. He said, hey, it's got to be him. It's his program. He has to be the guy because he's the dude that we have decided is going to lead us possibly to another Big 12 championship. That didn't come to fruition. But I also understand why a guy like Will Howard go into the portal. Right? You see Avery Johnson come off the bench to run plays that used to be run for you. And perhaps you go, okay, well, maybe I need to go where they don't have my ready-made apparent right here running plays while I stand on the sideline perfectly healthy. I don't know that that really meant a whole lot to him, but it would mean a whole lot to me, right? Especially if I'm healthy and I think of myself as a dual-threat quarterback, and Will Howard should, and Will Howard probably does, right? He's going to be the kind of dude that I think can help a college football team win conference championships at a high level. And as far as where he fits – Dog, it's one of those where it's going to be difficult to narrow it down to because there are lots of places that he can help. Again, I'll go back to Jeff Levy, Mississippi State, who would love to have somebody that he could depend on as an experienced star to help him navigate his first year as a head coach in the SEC West, I might add, but divisions are going to go away. But you give the point there, right? Mississippi State ain't the one you worry about when the SEC West was a thing might be the last team that you worried about because Auburn always seems to sneak up on somebody. It's also another place where Will Howard could actually end up and do well is a place like Auburn, where you have a guy like Philip Montgomery that knows what to do with a dual threat quarterback and uh quarterback's got a cannon for an arm. The next guy. And the last guy that I think we need to talk about on the experienced winners list is Dylan Gabriel, who shown what he's capable of at central Florida. And then after a six and seven year, showed what he was capable of at Oklahoma. It's not just that he threw for 3,600 yards, 30 TDs, and six picks. It's that he's a grad transfer who started a ton of games and beat Texas. Who else beat Texas? I submit to you, nobody. Nobody beat Texas except Dylan Gabriel in Oklahoma. And that was very much a Dylan Gabriel game. He led the Sooners down the field for the decisive score to knock off a previously undefeated Texas team that was so good that undefeated Florida State has to watch Texas, who lost to Oklahoma, play in the college football playoff. That is a ringing endorsement for you as a quarterback in Dylan Gabriel. It's one of the reasons why you are already hearing on Tuesday that he is planning to take a visit to Oregon, where Bo Nix is basically going to play if he hasn't played his last game, right? his last game, and they're already going to be looking to the next guy. Now, whether Ty Thompson is that guy is, you know, we'll we'll see, maybe, right? But I think that if you're Will Stein, you can show Dylan Gabriel, this is what we did with Bo Nix. The only argument would be it took Bo Nix a year to really get the hang of what he was doing in Oregon, and then you changed up the offense coordinator, so maybe that's not entirely fair. But Will Stein was also one of the Broyles Award finalists and, and seems to be staying right where he is as Oregon is going to make its foray into the Big Ten. And I'm sure that they would love to have a dude with the kind of experience and the kind of talent that Dylan Gabriel has shown himself capable of at Oregon to say nothing of his Hawaii roots, right? That's that's where the great quarterbacks used to go when they come off the island. They used to go to Oregon. Like, I know everybody remembers Marcus Mariota, but my dude was always Jeremiah Masoli. 
because as a short, tubby quarterback, I love watching that dude play football. It was so much fun. And that's kind of been the thing. It was actually kind of shocking when we didn't see Tua end up at a place like Oregon, right? When we didn't see DJ Uyunglele end up at a place like Oregon because they respect that heritage so much and they respect what those quarterbacks have done here, especially in recent years, mentioning Mariota and Masoli there. So that's where I think those guys go in the experience winners tier. And all of those guys are good. So if you end up with one, you should feel good about that. Now, next tier we got to talk about is potentially great. I say potentially great because if you have been watching any one of these quarterbacks play football even a little bit, you see the talent. You see the skill set. You also see some sort of polish that is needed, some mechanics that need to be fixed, teaching them how to read the field, basically getting them to be experienced quarterbacks. So first on the list, we're going to go to the group of five and talk about Kurt Warner's son, EJ Warner, who's put his name into the portal after having a pretty great statistical year at Temple. Threw for over 3,000 yards, 23 TDs to 12 INTs. Not great, but not awful. I mean, I submit to you that Jordan Love led the FBS in interceptions his last year at Utah State and ended up being a first-round pick by the Packers, who all of a sudden don't look like trash. So anyway, all, all I'm saying there is like the pick-to-INT ratio, we might even overstate that from time to time. But EJ is a dude that has absolutely shown he can sling it. First, I got to see him do it up close and personal against my alma mater, the University of Tulsa, which wasn't that great this year, but you get the point there. And then he went 472 yards against what we all think is a good UTSA team. I think that EJ is probably looking for a Power 5 offer, but I think that Power 5 offer is closer to being in the Big 12 or the ACC than it is to be in the Big 10 or the SEC, if you get what I'm going at there. I think he's got tremendous talent, and I think with the right quarterbacks, coach, and coordinator, he can really thrive. He can really become the kind of player that we have seen really transform at the Power 5 level in like a Cam Ward. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but I think it's there for him if he finds the right spot. It's a lot like the NFL draft or the way that football people in the NFL talk about the draft. It's all about fit and do you have what you need right at that moment as much as it is about your talent and your ability to play at that level. Next on the list, another dude coming out of the group of five, but outstanding as a winner could go into the experienced winners category. It's just that Jordan McLeod played at James Madison last year, this year, right? So awesome, awesome year. For the Dukes, led by one Jordan McLeod, and his head coach is now uh, at Indiana, Kurt Signetti, deciding that that's what he's going to do. So maybe that's where Jordan McLeod ends up. But you win 11 games, you're damn near undefeated. You're outstanding as a quarterback. He's going to be wanted. It's just, is he going to get the opportunity to play at the Power Five level the way that he probably wants to? I like to think that. He's basically booking flights to Bloomington right now to just make sure everything is on the up and up, but that just might not be true, right? And if it's not, I expect that he's going to have other opportunities. NC State is in the market for quarterbacks. They're taking visits. Louisville's in the market for a quarterback. They're taking visits. Like There are places where Jordan McLeod can absolutely help some what we might think of as quote-unquote lower power five, right? But Louisville, all they did was make the ACC title game. you know. So I ain't exactly lower power five, but you get my point there. If Virginia Tech or Syracuse decided they wanted to go that way, it would not shock me. Okay, the guy that I actually want to talk about the most on this list, but is not necessarily the highest rated on this list, is Georgia quarterback Brock Vandergriff. And the reason I want to do this is everybody else that I've talked about so far and everybody else that I will talk about later has started football games 
and we have all seen them, for the most part, on television playing football games. Brock Vandergriff is still one of the most likely dudes to be great that has not played a real snap of football in his career. And that's kind of remarkable as a five-star quarterback in this day and age where you feel like you got to play that guy early so that he can get an opportunity and so that everybody else sees his film. So if he's not that good, you get to say, okay, we're going to redshirt you and you're going to stick around for a little bit. Or if he is that good, maybe you do what Dabo Sweeney actually started to make famous, which is make your freshman phenom the dude. That didn't happen at Georgia because that's just not how Kirby Smart wants his quarterbacks to be. We know this because Justin Fields was on the same depth chart as Jake Fromm, and Kirby said, I'm going to go with Jake Fromm. Had an opportunity to go with Seth, uh, to with Justin Fields instead of Stetson Bennett or even JT Daniels and you know fumbled that in 2019. Anyway, point here being Brock Vandegrift, a dude from Georgia, who played his football down the street at Prince Avenue Christian, was Mr. Football in Georgia, who threw for 4,000 yards and rushed 500 yards and had 70-plus TDs in his senior year, has sat and waited his turn 2021, 2022, and now 2023. And since Carson Beck seems like the dude and seems like he's probably going to come back, or at least that's the signal that you would get from a Brock Vandegrift entering the portal, you got to understand why that dude is like, okay, cool. I have got out of here. I'm going to graduate. I'm probably going to be able to go anywhere I want to go and play. But it's also a player that I got to know very early in his recruiting process because he showed up to an Oklahoma recruiting camp. I want to say this is June 2019 because certainly not June 2020. And he was throwing passes to Relik Brown, if you can remember that dude at SC, when Lincoln Riley was still the head coach at Oklahoma. And those dudes put on a clinic. Like, it was outstanding to watch them. You had a quarterback that could sling it, and then you had a Relique Brown that could do anything that he wanted in the sliding out of the backfield, and it felt like that was going to be really a tandem to watch in the future to OU. Of course, that all blew up for one reason or another, but not the least of which is Caleb Williams comes along. And you see that, and you're Brock Vandergriff, and you're in the 2021 class. Hey, uh, you know what? Fine. You like that dude better than me? I'll just go win back-to-back national championships in Georgia as the backup quarterback, but he'd probably be the first person to tell you he didn't win any of those championships, and he would love to lead a team to a championship. In many ways, it's kind of like Jake Browning with the Cincinnati Bengals. You just want to get him a chance. And as soon as he gets a chance, it's probably going to be all right. It's probably going to be pretty good. I'll add in here, Greg Vandegrift, his father, is an outstanding high school football coach, defensive-minded coach who raised a quarterback, which ought to scare the hell out of every defensive coordinator who's going to have to game plan for a Brock Vandegrift, but a really down man, like, like loyal. They want to not do this. They would have loved to this to work out at Georgia. But if you're Kentucky or a program that feels like it is, uh, let's move it in the right direction, Missouri, right? Even an Oklahoma, though Jackson Arnold's probably going to have something to say about that. You got to entertain this. And, and frankly, this is how I get back to USC, right? If Brock Vandegrift is there and you don't necessarily know what you got in Malachi Nelson or you don't trust it, where you don't know where you do know what you got in Miller Moss and you don't trust it. Maybe you tried to make that relationship work for you and sell a kid that was raised to love the SEC and Georgia on playing Big Ten football in a satellite city that is Los Angeles. Satellite meaning satellite to the Big Ten. You get my point here. But I'm curious to find out where he goes because I think this dude is a unique talent. I think that he's got all the potential to be great. 
So I can't wait to see where he decides to go because wherever he decides to go, he's probably going to be the starting quarterback. He'll win the job. Next on the list that I want to talk about is UCLA's Dante Moore, who I was bullish on from the start. Like, I really like the dude's game. And I don't really read into the conversation about where he had committed or not committed until we start playing FBS football because Jamar Chase committed to three different five different places before he ended up at LSU. But you could see that Dante Moore's got all the talent in the world. You just want to see his maturity. You just want to see him grow up a little bit. You want to see him make better decisions and you want to see how he you want to see him react better to being benched. Frankly, I thought Dante Moore had a Jalen Milrow moment in him that we just never got to see. If that dude would have come off the bench clapping and yelling for Ethan Garbers, I think he probably gets back into that thing, and I think he probably feels better about being a Chip Kelly quarterback, especially at this time when it feels like UCLA is in its own sort of mini turmoil. But I can understand him going into the portal. The thing that I'm struggling with is where does he go play his college football? Because I have circled Michigan. And the reason I've circled Michigan is I'm assuming everything goes the way Michigan wants it to, which is to say – They beat Bama in the CFP, and they beat either Washington or Texas for the national championship. Jim Harbaugh takes the job with the Chicago Bears or whomever, and then perhaps you have a Jesse Mentor, Sharon Moore, maybe a Sharon Moore, as your head coach, and you need a new new quarterback because J.J. McCarthy decides it's time to bail, right? It's time to go to the NFL because he goes for 300 yards passing each one of those games and wins MVP of the national championship game. That said, do I think that he would be better at quarterback for Michigan next year than Jaden Davis or Alex Regi? I think so. Yes, I do. I, I believe in his talent that much coming out of basically that place, Detroit, Martin Luther King High School, where he was really great. But I love his release. I, I would like it more if he threw off his back foot instead of just kind of standing still and chucking it. But whatever works for you, my dude, I think that you got the goods. I just think you need to slow down just a little bit. Make sure that the next place you want to go is the place you want to stay, even if it ain't going well, so you can start to win back people that might think of you as really going after the Nick Starkle Award, which is how many times can you transfer in your FBS career? JT Daniels won it last year. Somebody's going to win it this year. Might be Dylan Gabriel as we're talking about it. But I think that somebody's going to take a chance on that dude, and I hope it's a team that's got an opportunity to play for championships. Last dude on this list we got to talk about, is perhaps the most bona fide star, but potentially not an experienced winner, but potentially great in Cam Ward, Washington State's starting quarterback. Now, he came out guns a-blazing from Incarnate Word. Outstanding play for Eric Morris. Eric Morris became the offense coordinator at Wazoo. He asked Cam Ward to go with him. They went. He played lights out last year. Eric Morris took the job at UNT. Cam Ward stayed. Wazoo was not that great, in the, especially in the second half of the year. It's a top 25 team to start, right? So you can ding me for not having him on the experience winners list if you would like. But I tend to think of Cam Ward as a guy that can absolutely turn a fringe national championship program into a bona fide national championship contender. This is why I think his name and Ohio State seem to go hand in hand everywhere we go. It's just when I send that text message, I never get back Cam Ward. But, you know, I'm not the only person that, is sending text messages about what Ohio State might or might not be doing at quarterback because we're going to get into that. But I struggled to say which program that does not have an established starter coming back next year would not love to have Cam Ward. It is a dude that threw for 3,700 yards, 25 TDs, 9 INTs, 
There's lots of scuttle about how much it's going to cost in NIL money to get a quarterback of Cam Ward's caliber. Some are going to get probably what he gets, but he's the only dude right now that seems worth the money that you're going to spend, not just because he's got the talent, but because he's got the experience at this level that you are going to crave and need if you are, say, in Ohio State that might be a quarterback away from being great because as much as people want to ding Ryan Day, Kyle McCord might be the dude that was the least prolific of the guys he's coached so far as a head coach, and that might have held them back in a year in which the defense was, quite frankly, dynamic and amazing. You just would love to see a great Ryan Day offense married with a great Jim Knowles defense because that seems like the kind of team that wins the national championship and came real close last year with a bad defense because the quarterback play and the offensive play was so good. And I could see how Cam Ward fits for that. Also adding this little nugget of the top five passers in FBS, Cam Ward is fourth. The guys in front of him are dudes like Bo Nix. Michael Penix Jr. and Carson Beck. And Carson Beck is only two yards in front of Cam Ward for passing yards. And remember, Carson Beck got to play in an SEC championship game. And our guy, Cam Ward, didn't get to play in an extra game. So you could see it's going to be fascinating to see where he ends up. Because I think as soon as he decides what he's doing, you're going to see a lot of other dominoes start to fall because I think he's number one on a lot of boards right now. And you want him to tell you no before you get to go tell somebody else yes. Which leads me to the next topic that I want to talk about. What's going on at Ohio State? A lot of answers to that question depending on who you ask. But I'm going to start with the landscape here. That program went 11-1 and and the fan base turned up to DEFCON 3. <laughs> that program is a possession away from beating Michigan on the road, and that program went to DEFCON 3. Ryan Day has already said what he's been saying. It We can't keep doing this. I understand. This is not who we are. And it's not the 11 games. It's not being a top 25 team, top 5 team. It's losing to Michigan. This is why everybody's so mad and upset in Columbus. And as a dude that ain't from there but respects the get down, I respect the get down. Your standard is beating Michigan, and he ain't hitting the standard. All right. So what is he going to do about it? That was the question that was asked because for like three days there, lots of conversation about whether or not he's going to be the head coach at Ohio State, which, again, I don't know of another program that would want to fire a dude after he had 11 wins, but that's Ohio State. So you get 12 players going into the transfer portal in just the first 24 hours since that portal had opened, highlighted by not just Kyle McCord, but also Julian Fleming, who was the number one wide receiver in the 2020 class. And that dude can go into the portal because you didn't use him enough, which is wild to think about. He was your third best wide receiver for perhaps the last two years, but certainly this year. And now, this is a dude that was also playing with Garrett Wilson, right? With Chris Olave, with Marvin Harrison Jr., and with Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think that dude is going to be outstanding. I really wanted to see him break out in a real way. Couldn't really happen in the position that he was playing at Ohio State, as you also got a guy like Xavier Johnson working into the mix, even at a time when Marvin Harrison Jr. was becoming the offense and Emeka Ibuka was out in games. You still didn't make Julian a feature part of the offense, which – could lead that dude to going into the portal. I get it. But seeing that number of players 
on scholarship decide that they need to go do something else leads me to also believe Ryan Day is in a cleaning house kind of period. There's some things that have to change. There's some players that they need to get in. There's players that they might need to get out. It's going to be more of this in the coming, not just weeks, but months. Remember, the transfer portal basically is a nine-month process at this point. We got days for when it's open. We got days for when it's closed. But we'll be back here talking about this in the spring. We're going to have probably at least three more periods where we actually do a transfer portal segment of the show between now in January, now in March, now in April, and even perhaps in May or June, depending on what's on and popping as we get closer and closer to the start of the 2024 season, which will, again, be unprecedented because 12-team playoff and there are 18 teams in the SEC, or excuse me, in the Big Ten and 16 teams in the SEC, and there is no Pac-12. Like, there's already going to be stuff we've never seen before, even as we've never seen an undefeated Power 5 champion left out of a 14 playoff that is supposed to be made up of undefeated Power 5 champions if there are such such a thing that year. I'm never going to let that go. And I'm not even a Florida State guy. I'm just I'm just not going to let it go. It, it, it's always going to bother me. It's always going to bother me. They also got uh, a flip at defensive line, and Justin Scott decided to go to Miami instead of sticking uh, at Ohio State. But I'm looking at Jeremiah Smith, and I'm going, I wonder who he wants to be the quarterback because that dude is outstanding. Like, He's going to join a wide receiver group that features also Brandon Ennis, who's outstanding, Carnell Tate, who's outstanding, Mega Buka. They got dudes. Like they, they are going to be out there with the TIE fighters taking on the Empire if they're given the opportunity with a great quarterback. And that's what it's going to be about. I am more curious about who the starting quarterback will be against Missouri than I've ever been about a starting quarterback against Missouri. Because I understand y'all having the best season y'all had since 2014, but um, I'm an Oklahoma fan. I remember y'all wasn't no good. I remember it. I remember you had one year, 08, Chase Daniel, Jeremy Macklin, cool, good, good for you, good for you. But I want to see if Devin Brown is the starting quarterback or Lincoln Keynotes is starting quarterback because I think that's going to tell us a lot about the next guy to go into the transfer portal. It would not surprise me to see one or both, honestly, because I think that Kyle McCord going into the portal basically telegraphs they're going to go get somebody. But here's Ryan Day's quote on Sunday in reference to this thing. Right now, we're not actively out there searching for anything other than we'll see what the next month brings in all positions. I mean, you recruiting, dog. Like, we always recruiting. Everybody's always recruiting. Everybody's always open at all positions. Just like every position is always being challenged. There are no starters until we start playing football games. And even after the game ends, you got to compete for your spot again. Yada, yada, yada. Coach speak, coach speak, coach speak. Devin Brown didn't leave uh, Canyon Corner to go to Ohio State to not be the starter. And he would love nothing more than to run around with number 33 on his back, which is still wild, throwing passes. I don't care if it was Sammy Ball's number. It's still wild for a quarterback to be wearing 33 in the back, in the pocket. You're going to have me think that dude's a tailback and maybe not for the best, right? So Devin Brown, what does he provide? He provides a level of mobility that neither C.J. Stroud nor Kyle McCord had, but C.J. Stroud could do without and be great. Kyle McCord needed to have it. Maybe it's the offensive line. Maybe it's his first year as the starter as opposed to C.J.'s first year in 2021 when people were claiming that he needed to be benched for Kyle McCord, if you'll remember, because fan bases are never happy, and the dudes sitting on the back is always the better option. I'm curious to see if they actually put into play some of those runs that we saw Devin Brown with at the beginning of the year, but also damn near got him hurt 
right? And we've already seen that dude was hurt a little bit in the preseason. We're going to ask about his injury. We're going to ask about injury prevention. People are going to pull Mickey Mariotti's chain, even if it doesn't need to be pulled that way. But if he plays lights out against Missouri, that's probably going to be your guy going in 2024 because that's going to be a really great proving ground for him. Now, if it is not, Lincoln Keenholz might be a really good dude to have there because he's got a year in your system. He arrived late coming out of South Dakota. I think he's just the second ever player that Ohio State has signed to a scholarship to play football out of the state of South Dakota, where he was outstanding. They play 11A football in South Dakota, by the way. Talk about overkill. Like They don't play 11A football in Texas. <laughs> Six days as high as it goes, and even that might be too many, right? Um, we play 6A football in Oklahoma. 5A football. That, that's where we could start. Anyway, you talk about Lincoln Keenholz. We talk about a dude that played all the sports, showed up in camp in June, right, to wanted to finish out the season in high school, and has basically got to sit there and watch, and not knowing that he's probably not going to be the dude that's up for the job next year because everybody expected Comicore to have a great year or Devin Brown to have a great year, and then he would sit and, and wait. But now, thrust into it, I kind of want to see it. But that's what Ryan Day has done. He's always had a dude back there that I kind of want to see, right? And in 2021, no, 2019, excuse me, he made the mistake of just not getting Jack Miller or C.J. Stroud opportunities to uh, get onto the field, throw passes, right? He really wanted to do that. Didn't really work out. I think he wants to do that from now on with these dudes, which is why you got to see last year C.J. Stroud take a seat and Kyle McCord come in there and start throwing passes, right? Like that was that was important to him. One, get that dude some feel and some comfort, uh, some comfort, and also have some tape to reference come the spring, right? You want a quarterback to be able to throw the ball in his offense, but if you can move back to some of what you were doing with Urban Meyer, I don't think anybody's going to tell you that you can't or frown upon it because turns out Ohio State is like every other Power 5 quarterback when, or excuse me, institution, when you got a Power 5 quarterback that's a passer, you're like, why don't you run more? Because I'm a passer. Even Jalen Milrow got to deal with this. He got to tell people, I throw the football first. I run the football as a last resort. CJ Shaw was getting dinged for throwing for 300 yards and not running for 100. It's just what they want up there. But this time, I think that they're in a good spot with either one of those dudes, Lincoln or Devin Brown, to go do some of that. And that might give you an edge, right? That might give you the edge that you are looking for to go undefeated, which is what they want at Ohio State. You got to get to Michigan, then you got to beat Michigan, and then we'll see. I'm curious to see what comes into the por- uh, out of the portal to Ohio State because they always do a good job, but they've never been so heavily invested in it as I think they're about to be. And if that is the case, you know Ohio State will go get what they want. It's just, is there a whole bunch out there that they absolutely do want? That's going to be the question. Another program that is absolutely going to go into the portal, maybe harder than anybody else, is Colorado. Now, we have liked to talk about Colorado on this here show, and we will continue to like talking about Colorado on this here show because the people's like the Colorado too, even as a four-win program. And that's really what it's about because they were hotter than almost any other program in the country to start the season. They take a loss, right? And they're three and one through the first third of the season. And then the wheels came off for a number of reasons, but not the least of which is they could not protect the quarterback. It is a glaring weakness in Coach Prime's program. And frankly, it was the one thing that many people were asking, rightfully so, would he have in 2023? The answer was, 
Not really. No, because not only did she do her set, uh, Sanders take more sacks than any other power five quarterback in the sport. He was forced to miss games because he was getting hit so much. But even then, without that dude playing the last game and, and the second half of the, of the game before that, he finished as a top 20 passer. Like he still threw for 3,200 plus yards. He's that good. You just have to get him an offensive line that can protect him for the two seconds he's going to need to move the ball down the field. I think that Prime is probably going to make that his priority and use this week and the next week and every other week after to make sure that the five dudes standing in front of Shador Sanders are the best possible five that he can get one way or another. I also think this is a good time to tell you that it's not that Prime does not care about high school football players. He, he loves them. It's just he's also looking at the portal going, did you start? Because that is the thing that he stressed to me. I said, what do you want when you're looking at the portal? He says, I want starters, starters, starter. He said starters a dozen times. He's looking for dudes that were starting high school football games and starting college football games. It's not a particular kind of player that he's looking for, except to the kind that want to be at Colorado because he's not interested in going to pay for players and the kind that want to be coached. I also learned from him just what he had learned about himself in this season, because I don't think he's ever had a season like the one that he's had where he has lost twice as many games as he has won because his entire pedigree, his being is not just made of being good. It's made of being great. It's elite. It's unprecedented playing in the world series, playing the super bowl, winning back to back, changing the balance of power in the NFL because you play cornerback. All right. Goes in the TV, does a great job with that. Goes to Jackson State, goes four and three, and then starts reeling them off. Okay. Argument is still the same. This is a different level of football, and you're competing against a lot of different people. It is a crowded field in our sport. A lot of people think they can talk college football. Not a lot of people can. A lot of people think they can coach college football. A lot of people can't. He has learned to be patient. That was his big takeaway for himself this year is he's asking these his players to do a bunch in a hurry. And he doesn't expect them to be like him, which I thought was important because I asked him this. I said, do you think that you have a hard time coaching players not named Shadour Sanders or Travis Hunter? Because quite frankly, everybody ain't on your level of talent as an athlete. So you can't walk up to them and talk to them the way you might have talked to a younger you. He says, no, I don't do that. And I've never done that. And that will never be what I do. He says, I hire position coaches that I want the players to reflect. So whenever they want to know what it is I expect from them, I ask them to describe their position coach to me. Tough, hard-nosed, organized. That's what I want out of you DBs, right? Uh, offensive line, fiery. Nobody gets behind me. I keep everybody in front of me. I sit on them. That's what he wants, right? He's really interested in making sure that he gets the right 10 on the field assistance at Colorado so that the players have no ifs, ands, or buts about what he expects from them from a talent Oh, excuse me, from an effort standpoint, not a talent standpoint. The talent will be there. They just have to coach it. His thing is getting to know every one of his players so that he knows which buttons to push and how quickly to push them. Nothing about him motivating the players or motivating his coaching staff gives him pause. He loves this attention. He's very good with it. I mean, I don't know of any other head coach that ended up on Good Morning America after going four and eight in his first year because he's that magnetic. But I thought it was interesting that his big takeaway was being patient, even as a 54-year-old man who's got the kids that he's got that are grown, he's still having to learn. There are only so many times you could push somebody. 
a little bit more in there about the coordinators and the position coaches. You've seen a couple of folks go out. He's wished them well. He had nothing ill to say about them. Also asked that people not really look at Pat Shermer's NFL career. We're talking about what he may or may not be as a coordinator. He's not set on Pat Shermer being the coordinator, but uh, you saw what he was able to do the last couple of games. I'd like to say that he's the clear leader in the clubhouse. We'll see what he does at offensive line, but he was really happy about it. Like he didn't really want to get in front of the process, but the guy that he most happily interviewed looks like the dude that he's going to try to hire. I'm interested to see how this also affects not just Travis Hunter and Shadour, but the rest of the players that chose to stay, because you'll see a number of other players that have gone in from the transfer portal from Colorado and a number of others that might have bad things to say, which doesn't make them any different than any other player at any other power five school. If we're being honest about it, it's just a bigger deal because prime will talk prime will tell you what he thinks. And if you ask him straight up, he will give you a straight up answer. And if he doesn't like your question, he will pull your chain on it. He will he will ask you what, what the hell are you talking about? And I like that, right? Because I like to be the guy asking questions. And I like to think I'm good at asking questions. If you ask them politely and with respect, you'll get a polite and respectful answer. That's where he's at. Now, the last thing I asked him about that I thought was really interesting is like, hey, doc, everybody else around the program seems to be very, very uncomfortable with the revolving door that seems to be your program from the outside. Coaches going, coaches leaving, right? Coaches coming, coaches leaving. Players coming, players leaving. Feels like you got 57 mercenaries out of the portal and not 57 Colorado Buffaloes, to which he said that's because they're not in control. We all in this sport, and particularly in college football, but really at all of our jobs, we want to be in control. We want to know what is happening, and we want to know why it is happening. And Prime is not interested in telling anybody what he doesn't want them to know. He's even said this part out loud. Look, this is my house, and I have tinted the windows. You will see what I let you see. When I open the window, please take a look. But until I open the window, you're just not going to know. So you're going to speculate, and you're going to commentate. And frankly, he was telling me, hey, RJ, you, you just keep it real. If I did something wrong... I'm okay with that. Keep it real with me. Keep it real with the uh, folks that watch your show. And we will continue to do what it do. As long as you're being honest and faithful and true. And I'm with that. Because that's what I ask from anybody. Right? You want to talk noise. Talk your noise. Right? But don't say anything that's untrue. And if you have an opportunity to go check it out, just go check it out. And if they don't want to tell you, say they don't want to tell you. That's the same. That said, they have the number 65 ranked 2024 recruiting class. Which means that if it ended today... They would have a recruiting class that is the lowest ranked for Colorado since 2016 when they had the 69th best recruiting class. That was kind of a shocking detail to me because Colorado ain't been nobody basically since they joined the Pac-12. That one year, 2016, they won 10 games, right? Mike McIntyre wins coach of the year. But outside of that, we haven't been thinking about Colorado as a place where people just want to show up and start playing football until prime. Now, there are folks that are going to get very upset about seeing just two top 100 players out of high school in that class and one top 10 player out of JUCO in that class, to which I say, remember, his his formula doesn't really require that many high school football players. He wants 20% high school football, he wants 40% transfers, and he wants 40% grad transfers. He's also really looking at some HBCU players, try to get them in the door because he was really the dude that showed folks that modern HBCU football players in mass can go play Power 5 football because he gave opportunities. 
And he gave opportunities because national television wanted to follow him around. So he's going to go look. And if there's something to go get there, he'll go get it. But I'll, I'll put it this way. Forget Shadur. Forget Travis. The dude that really turned me on to, okay, Prime is going to go get a player and turn him into somebody else uh, Somebody else wants is Dalen Baldwin, who was a wide receiver at Jackson State, who ended up transferring to Michigan and played on a college football playoff team and won a Big Ten championship as a starter at wide receiver for them. So I'm not really that interested in the conversation around high school recruiting at Colorado, but right now at least, right? He even is going as far as to go, okay, 2025 kid wants to decommit, that's fine. I honestly wish that they didn't commit as early as they do. It's also a man that would like to see, you know, once you commit, you don't get to take any more visits because if that's what you want to do, you shouldn't be doing it anymore, right? I'm with that. But it is supreme confidence to watch a dude like Antoine Hill just decide, nah, I don't want to do this no more and be fine with it because that's basically been his get down. He will go get dudes that can help him win. And as he looks at the portal, he sees Christmas. He sees a bunch of dudes that can go in that he can go get that want to come help him. As a matter of fact, the quote is, trust me, there's not a day that goes by that kids aren't blowing up our recruiting staff. They're calling and we're responding. And he is doing just that as he gets ready to launch the second season of his TV show, Coach Prime, where he gets to tell everybody how much he likes Robin Roberts, among other things. Like I, I just don't know if any other head coach has got that kind of sway. I don't see Kirby Smart on Good Morning America. That's that's all I'm saying here, right? And until that's no longer true for Prime. Perhaps we should all just kind of wait and see. I'm interested in waiting and seeing. Am I going to be as bullish as I was last year? We'll see. We'll see. Right. But the Big 12 is not the Pac-12. And the Pac-12 certainly is not the Big 12. I also think one last point on this is Prime plus Shadour plus Travis means that you can get anybody to take your phone call. Coaches or recruits. Because that dude's a star. He raised a star at quarterback. And he recruited a star at wide receiver and cornerback. And those dudes get all the spotlight when they are playing well. And don't you want to be in the spotlight if you play college football? All right, let's get to a, a couple of updates in the coaching carousel before we wrap the show. Uh, the first one and the big one for me is Lincoln Riley making a defensive coordinator hire. He decided to go get former UCLA defensive coordinator Danton Lynn, who was in his first year as a coordinator at UCLA and put together an outstanding defensive performance for them, like that was a dude that if UCLA was better, he's a Broyles Award finalist because they were so good. Now, on the one hand, it's not the splash hire that I'm sure that SC fans, and frankly me, not an SC fan, a neutral, wanted to go see Lincoln Riley make. Because we're looking at a coordinator who had the 90th best scoring defense and was 76, 72nd in yards per play allowed. However, however, he was third in rush yards allowed fourth in sacks, and fourth in tackles for loss. And in there, you get to see what Lincoln Riley likes. We used to put this on Alex Grinch's shoulders that the defense can't stop nobody because it was selling out to get into the backfield. They wanted sacks. They wanted tackles for loss. They wanted turnovers. Turns out, that's what Lincoln Riley wants too. So what I'm telling you is, the offense ain't going to change. The defense might get to be a little bit better, and the reason that I think that it might is because Danton Lynn's front was particularly good. So when you got guys like Jamil Muhammad and you got guys like Barry Alexander, yeah, okay, maybe you could put together a front that can scare people, but what I can say about this Danton Lynn hire, it ain't Clancy Pendergrass. You know what I'm saying here, right? It ain't Jim Leonard. It ain't Tony White, right? 
But it ain't also going to get you beat like Ted Roos' first year at Oklahoma. I think it's going to be fine. I think that some of us thought that Jim Leonard was the home run hire, if you could make that work, or even Jimmy Lake. I mentioned Tony White at Nebraska. I think this is great. I think this is fine. One, you hire a dude that's younger than you, and Lincoln Riley just turned 40 in September to be your defense coordinator, so he's going to be as energetic as you are, and he's going to be as hungry as you were at Oklahoma to succeed, and you're banking on that, right? I, I believe in betting on people that resemble you from a character standpoint, right? I'm getting into the diversity part of this, but the point is, if you, I'm wanting somebody that's young and hungry, I'm just hunting for himself. I'm hunting for somebody that's just like me that wants to do this job, and I think that's what he's got in Dan Lynn. And then you could talk about really his pedigree because his daddy is Anthony Lynn. We know what kind of a uh, coach that man is. I'm curious to find out what this looks like in recruiting, both in the portal and high school, and frankly, what the defense can look like in the Big Ten. But will it look remarkably better than the one that Alex Grinch coordinated? That's the question. Because the thought has always been, if you give Lincoln Riley even a so-so defense, he will go win you a national championship because the quarterback play and the offensive skill players are going to be that good. To which I submit to you, Ryan Day just tried to run that particular play. And he came up against a Michigan team that stopped him cold. The difference is defense. If you can turn people over, and that's what Michigan did against Ohio State and what Ohio State couldn't do against Michigan, that's going to win you football games. So maybe he's on to something. And just trying to go get guys that are going to punch the ball out and run a scheme that's going to get into the quarterback's face. Because I also tend to think that coordinators that become head coaches tend to go hire a guy that scares them. So Bob Stoops went to go hire Mike Leach because that offense scared the hell out of him as a defensive coordinator at Florida. Right? I think the same thing is true of Lincoln Riley, who's going to go hire the guy who coordinates a defense that scares him. And what scares him? A guy getting home to his quarterback. Because if you get home to Lincoln Riley's quarterback, you really have blown up the game plan because there's nothing really else to do out there. And we know this because he would rather send Caleb Williams out there on one leg than send Miller Moss in to play important snaps. But I think this is also a lesson that Lincoln Riley taken from Bob Stoops, which is, okay, go get the thing that scares you or go get the thing you know. And I think that's what Brent Venables has done. So I want to talk about Oklahoma and Brent Venables' decision to elevate Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley to co-coordinator spots. Now, of these two dudes, Seth Luttrell is the guy that's been a former head coach at North Texas, had some really outstanding quarterbacks, one in particular in Mason Fine, right, who came out of uh, Locust Grove here in Oklahoma, one of the great college football players of all time. And I got to interview him a number of times, but uh, his story is phenomenal. But Seth went and took a chance on that dude, because Seth is also an Oklahoman through and through. Like, that's the reason to be excited about this. If you are excited as an Oklahoma fan, this is a guy who was playing fullback and blocking for Josh Heupel. This is a guy whose daddy played for Barry Switzer. This is a man who went to Oklahoma, understands what the program is about, and comes out of the Mike Leach air raid tree as, one, he played for him, and two, coached for him. So you're going to get a dude that knows how to move the ball down the field as a play caller. But the same is true of Joe John Finley who was my daddy's favorite player. Like, I, I I, still razz my father about this because my dude had, uh, my dad had a thing for Joe Jarevicius, and my dude, my dad had a dude uh, in Joe John Finley that he just loved. A big, athletic freak of a man that can just catch passes, right? Same thing is true my daddy and, and Mark Andrews. He just loves a big tight end that can catch. It's no wonder that a guy like, 
my goodness. I'm blanking on dude's name, and it's going to come down to me, and I'm going to get very mad about it. But anyway, the point there is I think that Joe John Finley also understands moving the football down the field and vertically, right? This is a man that not just coached for Josh Heupel, but got to call some plays for Josh Heupel at Missouri, and I think he did not go with Jeff Levy because he sees something in the offing at Oklahoma. So between both of those dudes, Brent Venable has got to do something I think a lot of coaches really dream about doing. Two players that you recruited in high school who became players for you at Oklahoma, who had success in winning at Oklahoma, come back to you at Oklahoma as as coaches and analysts, and then you get to promote those guys once again, and you get to participate in their journey as an elder statesman. Like You get to look at your work and see how it has grown and prospered. And for a man like Brent Venables, that's, that's it, dog. Like That's what he's about. He wants to meet a dude that's 16, 17 years old and help make that dude into a grown man that contributes to his community, contributes to his family, and can become a football coach for him. The way that he was raised to be a football coach, right? It's very important to him that these sorts of things take place. And frankly, it's a holdover from both Bob Stoops and Dabo Sweeney. While I and others would have loved to have seen Brent Venables go make a splashy outside hire as the offense coordinator— He did what Dabo and Bob would do, which is, who do I have on staff? Who knows what we are doing? Who knows why we do it? Who do I not have to teach? Who can I trust? Two dudes that I coach, two dudes that I've coached with, one who's been a head coach, one who knows from winning championships. Okay, let's go do that. So while it's a completely safe hire, if you are the pessimistic Oklahoma fan, It's also a very cool hire for those of us that believe in elevating from within. I'm a big elevate from within guy. Like I, I genuinely love to hear that my colleagues and and peers at Fox get to move up into different jobs. It it fills me with a level of joy that I think borders on the joy that Brent Venables feels when he gets to see his, his colleagues, his friends, his peers doing well, both within the structure and going elsewhere to grow. It's really, really fun to see that said, the guy that was able to keep Jackson Arnold on campus, that's the guy that I want to be calling plays because that was the thing. As soon as Jeff Levy went to Mississippi State, it was like, hey, five-star, what you doing? I play for Oklahoma. Thank you. Like, that's the thing. Got to go on, uh, into the SEC. You want to go into the SEC with your best guns, and if Dylan Gabriel's not going to come back and end up in uh, Oregon or elsewhere, you got to know that Jackson Arnold's going to be your guy. So I'm, I'm with that. I'm excited for both Danton Lynn and the coordinators at Oklahoma and Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley. Really excited to start talking about college football again almost immediately. This is going to be the show that we do for the week, but we will be back next week with shows on Tuesday and Thursday. Going to have a little fun in one of them, and we're going to start getting you set for the college football playoff because this show is about the college football playoff, even if uh, college football playoff selection committee ain't about the college football playoff because they left Florida State out of it. Never going to let it go. Our number one college football show leads of screening are Jack Coakley and Torin Westfall. They make us better in the film room. Production assistant Kiara Santana puts a special in our special teams. Social producer Javion Duncan makes sure the recruits and the rivals see the cake we bake. Chris Cheshire is sending in the signal. Senior producer Catherine Cordaggi sees the entire field from the booth. Lead producer Tyler Wojak calls the plays from the sideline and the play snaps on my clap. We will see y'all next Tuesday. Until then, stay low, keep those feet driving. Deuces.